Hi everyone, this is the Shopstool Podcast, Episode 7, Season 3. As always, I'm going to start by introducing my two co-hosts. Joey, how's it going? Yes, very good. Robin, how are you? Not too bad, not too bad. And Brian, how are you? Uh, I'm alright. Tough, oh. tough week for an Irishman, seeing the English <laughs> do well at football, but uh, apart from that... You're okay. Yeah, not too bad. Are, are you still... Is, um, Melbourne's Melbourne's not on lockdown, is it? Is it nah, even? we're good. We're the free you state right. now. Yeah. <laughs> it's New South Wales that's getting hit hard. You kind of yep. you kind of lose track of it when you are, you know. For me up here in Townsville, I'm completely out of it. But now with us going into lockdown yesterday for the first time in this whole event, it's become very much. We're all looking at the news and we're all paying attention yeah. to it. Um, but yeah, that's cool. It's nice to hear that you are not the one in lockdown for a change. It, does make a big change but my parents are now stuck here <laughs> oh yeah so right, they ended course. up so they were in brisbane and uh then they were due to fly out the next morning to back to new zealand and then the new zealand borders closed yeah so they flew yeah. to victoria and escaped the lockdown in brisbane but now <laughs> but it's good they're here so so what are they are they gonna stay up there with you uh they're just staying with my sister at the minute and yeah just trying to keep them busy and occupied and trying not to stress too much yeah no. we haven't checked in on a while we're actually going to check in on two things we didn't talk about the first one but i just want to find out your knee how's that going um yeah uh, today's not a good day yeah <laughs> it's the cold is definitely affecting mm. um so like in the mornings we've had some real bad frosts by melbourne standards so like minus one minus two Jeez. Um, and yeah, my workshop will be stay cold until midday. So yeah, the mm. mornings are hard. Then it loosens up in the afternoon. And then by the evening, it's really tight again. Mm. So yeah, I've just got to keep on the rehab and keep swimming and start cycling a bit more. But yeah, I mean, it's it's on the mend, but it's definitely not a hundred percent. Yeah, right. Yeah, feel it. Like I'm doing a bit of a uh, a bit of welding and some heavy steel members at the minute and just yeah, lifting, bending, lifting, kneeling, bending. Yeah, yeah, you definitely feel it. It's funny you talk about welding. Since our last episode, where it actually wasn't the last episode, it would have been the episode before, where we put out a call to anyone who knows someone who would be interested in being interviewed on the show. I don't know if you guys mm. remember that because that was like, that'd be a yeah, month yeah. ago. Yeah. About a month ago, yeah. I've had a number of people contact me. I, I I actually got a whole bunch of messages today and I was getting these messages going, why are people suddenly interested in <laughs> coming on the show and talking to me? You know, what? completely forgetting about that, that episode that we did. So I've had a whole, it was strange. Oh, it's well, that's cool. A whole stack of people came on today. So um, anyway. Metal workers. So the, 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 one of the guys said, would you be interested in, in uh, interviewing someone who does metal furniture? And mm -hmm. I'd never really th thought of it, you know, furniture is furniture, but we've always had woodworkers on the show. It's, they've all been woodworkers. Yeah. Mm. I don't think we've had one metal fabricator. We did. I um, think probably like, like butter are probably the only guys um, that I can think of. Who was that guy? Oh God, I can't forget his name. I forgot his name. The guy who made that wing tape, that wing disc. Oh, Neil. Um, oh, Neil. 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 Yeah, yeah, yeah. Neil loves a bit of aircraft aluminium and titanium and all that nonsense <laughs> and we've also had who was uh, cutthroat knives what was his yep. name oh yeah yep. um i can't remember his name off the top of my head but yeah uh was it aiden 
Aiden, that's right. Yeah. So that's something away from it. But other than that, yeah, it's Auburn Woodwork. So maybe we should try and find yep. someone who, yeah. You can educate us on some metal. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So a while ago we talked about, well, Brian, you said you were going to be testing that inter interbuild $2 oil from Bunnings. Yeah. What's the verdict? It's fully cured. So it got there in That's the end. That's the verdict. Yeah. Well, it, it was pretty dry after two days. Yeah. I think it was when I reported back on it. I just don't know the long-term effects of it, like in terms of resistance to stains and moisture. But not only that, it's how long the product will be stocked for. Mm. But like if I want to do a touch-up defect um, or something like a year down the line, are Bunnings still going to stock it? But you wouldn't need to use that particular product. Can't you just use anything? Well, no, if you're doing a spot repair, Mm. there may be, even in the um, non-tinted one, it'll be made up of different um, waxes. It would be an interesting test to do maybe a larger surface and then let it cure and then give it a rub back and put Osmo on top of it yeah, and and yeah. see just see if it even adhere or, or what would happen yeah. if you mixed it up yeah be interesting but no I just dropped 240 bucks on some Osmo the other day so that's where my yep. uh, allegiances lie um, yeah it's expensive stuff isn't it it is expensive I actually I'm now getting really um, mainly retentive about decanting it into bags and things so that I'm not losing. I just find that the the wax build up around the seal on the top will leave a skin on the on the wax, and every time you're pulling that out of there, it's costing you like five or ten dollars and in mm. lost materials. Is so, yeah. it? Did you buy like a four liter bucket? Uh, yeah. I think it's a two and a half liter tin, oh, okay. sort of standard size of it. But yeah, every skin is like you know it's a couple of millimeters thick, so it's yeah. I've yeah. never actually. I've seen guys decanted into bags and never really um, thought about doing it seriously. I I do get the problem with it that you know skinning off yeah. after a, a, a little while, but I tend to after buying one big bucket of it for a job and getting kind of three quarters of the way through, and and I finished the job and then so I lost about a quarter of a can because it just went. And left it for too long. Yeah. But so now I just buy the little seven fifty mil um, cans. It's like yeah. one can per job, kind of. And I tend to use most of that up. Uh, but there is still wastage. Uh, so I really should think about putting it into. Yeah. So I bags. had. I just bought. You can buy like dedicated finishing bags. And yeah. About I don't know four four dollars each or something. I can't remember the company that um, that sell them. But I just bought a whole load of like food bags off the yeah. off the internet with exactly the same nozzle yeah. and um, decanted them using a funnel and like I used the brass rod to try to get the you know to keep an <laughs> airway open so that they fill the bags and then right. when I was doing this one I'm like oh, I'm still wasting too much like I'm spilling it everywhere so I got a big uh, like a one liter um, like squeezy bottle like a tomato ketchup squeezy bottle mm-hmm. fill that up squeeze it into the bag it's amazing it sucks all the air out of the bags uh, oh. just with a, a fine like tip on it it's brilliant oh. so yeah for like a dollar fifty from um, from Big W 
So it goes can into that and then into the bags. And then I will date the bags, write the type of, um, like whether it's uh, matte or satin, yeah. and then try to put it somewhere where the sun's not going to do any damage to it. And the bags, do they store properly? Because the sun's yeah. a, a good point, but also just a general, I mean, a tin is a pretty airtight seal. Well, you see, that's what I don't I think with the wax buildup that you get on the tin, unless you're super mm. careful to clean it every time, I don't think you're ever getting an airtight fit once you've opened it I don't know, half a dozen I think times it's or just something. The, it's just the air left in the can that skins it over. Yeah, yeah, maybe, I mean, actually, maybe. I, I think that's all it is. So there's less, like if you imagine the way it's sitting in a skinny bag, mm. there's less air contact. Yeah. It's just yeah. a thin yeah. strip, and you can sort of suck the air out of it a little bit, like if you squeeze the you air. You can pretty much get it vacuumed out, can't you? Yeah. But I, um, oh, that's interesting. I've, had, yeah, yeah. I've had some in it for a in a bag for about seven or eight months and still good to use and it's really handy like even if you if you just want a small bit like Mm. you just squeeze a little bit out into a into a tray as opposed Mm -hmm. to trying to pour a little bit out of a can and yeah so, yeah. yeah, it gets in that ring and, and you, you yep. always lose that. Yeah, fair yep. enough. The so, one yeah. thing I, I, I would imagine as well is if there were any gaps where the air could come in, that's going to get plugged with the the, the, the wax. Yeah. And I know this from the water-based polyurethane. That stuff cakes. I've destroyed tins. <laughs> I'll admit sometimes in a bit of a rage because I can't open the damn thing. <laughs> but you can't get the tin open because it's filled with the polyurethane and you can't get the lid off. Um, yep. So, yeah, that's as airtight as it's ever going to be. Talking about sure. water-based polyurethane. <laughs> Why are you laughing? I know. I've just never had that problem with a can. Oh. I don't, like, I, I pour it into a tray and then pour the remains back into the can and then just use a brush to clean out the top edge of what whatever's left, and it just pops off every time. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe maybe this is a very bad advert for cabots then, but those uh, rims turn into tinfoil in a matter of, of two uses. I've you never put, used their can. I only buy their big plastic buckets, so it's you, much easier. You put that special special paint opener. I'm not using a screwdriver. It's a special yeah. paint opener, and the thing just, it just folds up. And yeah. then you just end up with all the sides folded in and um, and then it either goes flying across the workshop or stabbed with a screwdriver to get it open. Nice. I wonder how water-based poly would go in a bag. I imagine it would be the same. Um, you know, I've never found an issue with it, though. The, I've never had it. I mean, I've had even the Cabot stuff, 10-litre bucket, half full for six months, open it up and just use it straight out. Just perfect. Yeah. Um, no, not a problem talking about stuff going old have you guys ever experienced old paint like trying, normal, to, yeah. trying to get it off something or no <laughs> so, <laughs> when it separates out what you mean Tip- lead paint no 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 just your normal uh water-based uh acrylic or acrylic yeah. paint that you put on your walls i bought a good brand a deluxe weather whatever it is i can't remember uh, wash and wear and <laughs> i went and opened it probably about a week ago and I pulled it open. I was like, shit, someone fought it in the workshop. <laughs> oh, I, yeah, it went, it went rank. It went rank. Yeah. It, it was, it, it's, it, apparently it like breaks down sulfur. And then you, if you think about back to science class where you have that, you know, that <laughs> self-experiment, 
it was the most horrific thing I've ever smelled. I was gagging, <laughs> gagging, yeah, it's, trying to, I've, you know, get this thing outside. interesting. I've never had the paint do that, but if we have a can with where we just keep the brushes, typically uh, a can of, with water and it just turns white. Eventually it turns into white paint. Mm. And so, but if you disturb that water after, let's say you refresh the water in the can, clean it out, give it a week and that water smells like death. Yeah. And I just figured it was the water going kind of rancid, but it must be the paint is actually what's doing it then. Apparently it's a common thing. It generally happens with cheaper paints. The, there's a chemical <laughs> in the paint that breaks down and it breaks down in such a way that you end up with this, the sulfurous smell. And before reading up on it, I thought, oh, you know, it probably stinks a little. I'm going to put it, I'm going to brush it, roll it onto the, the bo MDF board that I need. And then the smell, no, the smell never went away. <laughs> really? So the paint stayed stinky. stinky? It stayed stinky. Half a tin, of, it was half a tin, uh, half a, a, a 10 liter tin. So five liters Whoa. of paint. It broke down. And I eventually just I stuck it around the back of the house, got some dirt, <laughs> filled it up with dirt to try and cover the smell. <laughs> and in two years, I'll go back and see what's happened to it. Like it was, Chernobyl, in case the little thing in concrete. <laughs> yeah, it was you know, crazy. I've never experienced that. Um, speaking of, you bring up an interesting point that has annoyed me and I just found out an answer to it. So I've always been annoyed that there's no, there's nowhere here that you can get rid of old paint. Um, mm. it's such a, it's like, it's like nuclear waste. It's like you, once you have paint, unless you paint it on something and, and let's say you've got a can of paint that's three years old and whatever, some project, you don't need it anymore. What do you do with, you can't throw it in the, in the tip. In fact, if you go and try and put that, what, half a can of paint in the bin and the rubbish guy, collection guys see it, they'll leave it on the curb. All right. Um, they, and which is fair enough, I guess, because you don't want whatever paint, they don't know what it is. But, um, so I found out the resine, resine paint, every can they sell has a built-in disposal fee and um, if you just take whatever you have back to a resine shop, they'll just take it from you free of charge and dispose of it, as long as it's in, in its original can. Because oh. I've got about 20 cans. I've got about 20-something cans sitting out the back of my workshop, which is just old jobs, bits and pieces of, you know, just scraps of paint left over. And at some point, I'm going to take it to resine, and they can have 20 cans worth of my old paint. So it's a bit dearer, but I guess that's... A worthwhile yeah. service. Yeah. So it's interesting. Here, the, dump, the dumps will take it. Really? You, yeah, yeah. There's okay. a special section for it. but Okay. You don't have to empty it out? Don't think so, no. Okay. They will only take empty dry paint cans here. Mm. That's, I've always assumed that was the case because they say on the, on the tin, I think it's on the tin, don't throw away unless you know take the the paint pour it out on some newspaper or cardboard or whatever right. and let it dry and then throw that in the bin but oh, oh maybe maybe it's uh it's anyway. not something that i do too often um while you're looking it up brian talking about paints i am putting some water-based polyurethane over an oil-based varnish that should work right if it's all dry i don't yeah. see why not you can mix the oil and the, the water between coats. 
Well, yeah, well, I mean, within reason. Well, did you, I mean, is it an old dry finish or have you done a coat of oil and then... Coat of oil, 24 hours later, water-based. It could, you could have some problems. I mean, it depends how much of the solvent has actually escaped. Mm. Um, the oil-based stuff can off-gas for a while mm. and it could bubble up underneath your water-based surface. It could push the water-based surface off, I think, if it's still... Um, off gassing I would have mm-hmm. thought after 24 hours most of the gas has probably come off it but there's, it's probably still residue well. yeah I mean it's like oil and water essentially what you're, you're mixing like literally like tip some oil back, you know, tip some olive oil in a cup of water and it's going to float on top they just don't mm-hmm. want to mix and I think that's what happens with the, if, if it's not dry enough I think you could have a problem but otherwise I don't see an issue. Well, if I'm swearing on my Instagram story tomorrow, then <laughs> it's, it's going to be why it's uh, making a high chair for my daughter. Yeah. And it's, it's one of those, this is the time to try something like that. So like yeah. if it stuffs up, whatever, I'll just. Was it your first it. coat? The oil, was the oil your first coat? Yeah. So it was the first coat onto pine because I wanted to get it to that yellow, yellowish color to match the other high chair, which is stored. Right. And then you put, a thousand coats of water-based polyurethane on top of that to protect it. Presumably you sanded it. So mm. essentially probably what you've done is sanded most of the residue off the surface and whatever, whatever has sucked into the pine to kind of prime the pine and give you a, a smooth surface, uh, you're probably fine. It was just interesting because you've, I've always heard that you shouldn't mix the two, but it was that moment of, <laughs> well, why? You can paint water-based polyurethane on anything and it's going to stick. So what's the difference between anything and that oil-based finish? But I guess, as you say, yeah, if it's not fully dried, then you're going to have drama. Yeah, I think there's times, like even with oil-based polyurethane, you see it sometimes in old, like on an, in an old bar or something where they've put a thousand coats of poly on. And then at some point, it just decides to start peeling off as one big thick layer. Mm. Um and this, I think that's probably the issue. At some point, those two different kind of chemical makeups decide they don't want to start sticking on a, like on a corner typically is so you might start getting a lifting or something. But I think that would only occur if you had like five coats of oil and then you come and put another five coats of water based on top of that and you're going to have like this definite kind of layer yeah. issue. But one, you know, one or two coats of oil as a primer, you sand it off, and then you're uh, on a water base. I think should be fine. Yeah. Speaking of speaking of flaking chemically stuff, remember a couple of shows ago I was asking about getting glue off bassy clamps. Yeah. Mm. The ridges of bassy clamps. So I had a few people contact me, and uh, I I'm going to give it a try tomorrow with oven cleaner. Oh yeah. Yeah. Apparently. Take it outside because it's stinky. Yeah, it's bloody good on blades. Uh, yeah, spray with oven cleaner. Yeah, that's an interesting idea. It I'll should let you mount know how it. Because hmm. it's pretty instant that stuff. When I when I yeah. clean saw blades, it's like five seconds, and then you just wipe yep. it off. I don't know. I might need a wee bit of scrubbing because some of that tight bond has been on there for years. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. So yeah, thanks to Marinos from Merino Made. We actually need to get him on the show. He does some really cool stuff. Okay. Yep. Where, where is he from? Melbourne. 
Of Where course. are all our guests from? <laughs> <laughs> the only woodworking town in the southern hemisphere. That's because we we're spent most of our time in lockdown, so we're easy to yes. get hold of. I'm going down to Tassie uh, probably in November. Hopefully, yeah. hopefully, who hopefully. knows? Hopefully, I'm going yeah. to Tassie, and I'm really hoping I'm going to see if I can catch up with Burn, Laura. I mean, I, I know we only met over the, the podcast, but I'm hoping to be able to, yeah, you know, just go. Are you stopping in Melbourne, eh? No, nah, no. Nah. Oh, you won't Just, see Burn then. Burns, Burns, Melbourne. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, I thought. Yeah. Why did I nah. think you? You'll meet Bruni, Bruni yeah, Island. That's why. Who was the woodworker who you went to meet in Bruni Island and did all that? Uh, um, for, uh, he was a really old dude. That's oh, who I'm I can't remember of. his name. And Laura <laughs> came along too. Oh, yeah, like, that's why I'm getting it mixed up. Yeah, I can't remember his name. He did some. Oh shit, that's really bad. Yeah, he's like a proper next level guru, yeah, Australian yeah. Uh, historical woodworker. Anyway, anyway that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. So, what do you what do you guys been working on? I've been um, smashing up concrete for some garden mm. renovations. So we won't talk about what I've been doing. Have you guys been woodworking? Yes. Yes. A little bit. All right. Thanks for the show, guys. We'll see yep. you. <laughs> we have been working with. Um, oh, man, I've been doing so much paperwork. It's been ridiculous. But I have managed to do a little bit of woodwork. Smashed, smashed out a couple of bedside tables and a headboard, stained them black. Mm, Put black that. Osmo on top of that. Looks pretty good. Um, still, not 100% coverage for black. But the best black I've had yet. On how many how many coats? Uh, uh, we ended up like two coats of stain, yep. and then um, two coats of the black Osmo. Okay. And maybe three coats of black Osmo even, uh, just because the ash was sucking it in in all sorts of different rates. So we were having not patchy issues, but just the odd panel just wasn't quite as deep black as the next panel. So. Do when you say ash, do you mean? Like white ash, or you mean? Uh, like American white ash. white ash, yeah. American white ash, right. Yeah. Um, it was quite a look. I mean, because that's a, that's a black black and a mm. big piece. You know, that yeah. in the room, that's going to suck up all the light. What was the, did the, I assume the client wanted that, but was there any reason? Um, to be honest, I have no clue. It's the furniture's off being shipped. So I'm in Auckland area, north of Auckland. Um, this stuff's going down south of Christchurch. So mm. uh, this the long way away. I have no idea. That I think they've just bought the house and are about to move in. And I think they're kind of decorating the house before they've actually moved in, if that makes sense, like kind of buying all the pieces. So I don't know actually what it's going to look like. Mm. Um, but they have just asked me to quote on another, another bed head in a completely different style and color. Um, so I'm not sure what's going on, but I'll quote it. <laughs> when I when I saw that, my first thought was, that's what you've gone for, for that email that you sent Brian and I about the, <laughs> the quote. I thought, wow, oh, that's gone a completely different direction. No, yeah, that's a different kettle of fish. Uh, we I, could talk about that maybe a little bit. Yeah, I thought I just thought that was really interesting. So Joey got a, a quote for a particular bed. A request. A request. Sorry, not a quote. Yeah. Got a request for a bed. Quoted on what he thought it was should be, and then the client came back and said, "Well, that's a, a million miles off the mark." Essentially, that's yeah. what happened, right? 
That's, you designed, that, you did a concept design for them. Yeah, so the client provided me with like a, um, what would you call it, um, uh, inspiration picture. Mm. This is this is what I like the look of. She she said um, so. She wanted a bed, a desk slash bookcase that would go next to the bed, and a bedside table that would go on the other side of the bed. Um, it all had to match and look like one set had to be very slim and sleek and kind of feminine I guess she didn't want it to be heavy um, and so I took this design that she'd given me which was at one end slim and that at the other end very heavy super chunky mm. um, and it's hard to describe to everyone listening but um, I, I just wanted to say because I, I, I sent this design to uh, both Robin and Brian just to see what they thought of it after the client told me that what the hell was I thinking because it didn't look anything like what she wanted um, and both of you told me I should have changed the angle or the, the mm. connection between the bed rail and the bed head and I drew it up that way the first time around and there was so much timber in there that it looked like mm. just a giant slab stuck to the side of the bed and I was like well that's not what she wants that's too much timber. She, she wanted it light and yeah. to feel very, um, you know, unencumbered. So I got rid it of all weird, that. It's weird though the language choice, like to use the word light, when the image that she sent you was not a light bed. <laughs> no. It's huge. Like the depth of those, um, yeah, that frame that, must have been like 200 mil or something. Well, I drew, drew it as best I could to try and match the photo just to see how big it was and essentially we're making a triangle of timber where you have the bed rail joining the leg joining the headboard mm. and that was about 350 mil across that triangle it was this huge <laughs> bit of like just solid timber yeah. um, so anyway so the funny thing was after so she came back to me and said can you just copy what's on the picture <laughs> And I said, no, I'm not just going to copy it. Like, I've given you my concept of, you know, based on, based on that, this is how I would go about it to make it interesting for me, at least. Um, Sorry, why, why wouldn't you just copy it? Is that from uh, an IP perspective or? Um, in a sense, but I also didn't really like it. And I thought, let's just try something different. I mean. Interesting, interesting. I, I just felt like copying it would just be a bit like, ugh. I wouldn't be all that inspired to do the work. And there is probably a level of intellectual property involved. I have no idea who the original designer was. I could, I don't even know how I would find out who they were. Mm. Um, See, while we're, while we're on the IP topic, <laughs> somebody contacted me. I obviously sound like the IP Nazi in the, in, <laughs> on the show. Somebody contacted me with a brilliant Instagram account called Design Within Copy. It is calling out the most blatant knockoffs you've ever seen. Right. And it's like, I don't know, it's like sort of TV celebrity interior designers knocking off. Right. Like not one, like it's not just one piece of one designer. They'll go through the entire designer's back catalogue and knock off five or six pieces. So it's definitely, it's, it's really good. It's worth a look. And it's kind of done in a, a humorous way. But yeah, um, yeah it's, it's good. So design within copy if anybody wants to give them a follow. Okay. I'll have a look yes. at that. Yeah. Um, so, um so we were, she said, can you copy it? I said, no, I don't want to copy it. Um, 
and I said if you want a straight copy maybe just find another furniture maker and so she came back and said oh have you got any where can I find some of your other bed designs maybe we can just tweak those and I was like I've just given you a bed design why don't you just tweak that one like it's really close to the, the picture you gave me yeah um just tell me what you want to change so I just stopped emailing that person back because it was it had become clear that it was going to be uh. in very much the too hard basket uh, there was already a language issue um, so it would I think partly that was the problem that she struggled to have the language to describe I think exactly what mm -hmm. she wanted and it became just a difficult process so too hard basket <laughs> bounding ship yeah um, do you feel like your first drawing which um, can I just say you put together some amazing drawings for a first like a, well, a rough draft before you've even talked money um, I would be proud of those drawings if those were my final drawings on something I quoted off those drawings I gave her a price based off those drawings and typically that's how I do I say someone comes to me and says this is what they want here's a drawing, here's how much that drawing costs. <clears throat> if you want to keep talking, let's keep talking. Otherwise, see you later, because I don't have time to, you know, just keep going back and forth. It's like, this is how much money you're in for if you want this. But then do you work from that drawing and tweak that drawing? Yeah, or and then if someone says, yeah, if, if someone says, look, I love it, but let's like, it's too tall, it's too short, change your legs, maybe paint it, whatever. Let's just change how it looks. I'll, I'll make a few changes um, free. And then at that point, if someone says, okay, I, w I still want to do the project, but let's look at it from like a completely different angle. Yeah. And then I say, right, now it's like whatever, some random number I make up an hour to change the drawings. Okay, so you give them the first one. If, the, if they get it back like this, this client did and they go, nope, this is not at all what I wanted, please try again. Yeah. Then it becomes, they start paying for that. Um. Like in this case, if she says, please try again, I would, I would come back and say, you need to be very specific at this point. Mm. Um, one, can we salvage the, the design I've given you? Like, is, is it 90% there? Or if it's only 20% there, like, okay, we're starting again. I obviously got the wrong end of the stick. But if it gets to the point where they're saying, I've made two or three tweaks and then say, okay, that's great. Let's go ahead with it. Oh, by the way, actually now can we make it out of concrete? <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> all right, let's start from scratch. I wonder how much, how many quotes you, you may lose based on that initial impression. So you've, you've come up with a design. They've said, come up with a design. You've come up with something that you think is good. They've looked at it and go, no, no, this isn't what I want. I don't think this is going to work based on the open design parameters that they've given you. I wonder how many times people have walked away because of that. You've just never, you've never known. Yeah. I mean, they've judged your work based on a, a based a, on a concept, on a concept that they didn't give you almost unfairly. Yeah, um, to be fair, this actually, doing those drawings took longer than typically I would spend because I was given such an open brief. It was just this one picture of a bed and then make a bed like this but different 
and also a desk like that but different and a bedside table so I had to come up with like what's going to be my running theme how am I going to link it and then how am I going to incorporate those kind of themes which ended up being a very gentle curve between the um between the three things and it actually took I probably spent two and a half hours three hours drawing those um Mm. and then it got to the point where I was like I am not going to get this job I kind of I was like I'm not getting going to get this job but I'm going to finish these damn drawings because I actually quite like them and at least Mm. I'll have them somewhere tucked away and I can I can pull them out again for someone else as a starting point um but um yeah I, I kind of knew halfway through that I'm spending way too much time on this. <laughs> Brian, have you been working on anything? I have been I'm putting the finishing touches to a big set of built-ins in the workshop at the minute. So like a shelving, a media unit, and a pantry that sort of all go together, kind of like a Tetris-y sort of thing. Um, so the first half of the install of that is on Monday, and then that frees up my workshop to actually work on other things. Mm. Um, so I've been doing a few concept designs for wall-mounted units. So I think I mentioned them on the show the other week with the tambour doors. Mm. Yeah, 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 with um, um, Simeon. I posted yeah. a little sort of teaser sketch on my Instagram last week, I think. A little black and white sketch. Yes, um, that's right. That was cool. And I've made a few tweaks to it, and the client gave me the go-ahead on that today. So that's going to be fun. Looking forward to doing the tambour and trying to work out how the hell I assemble it. Um, because usually with tambour, you have like a track mm. that sort of you can just slide the door through. Whereas yeah. because this is wall mounted, um, you can't get I, in the back. Yeah, how I arrange the cleats and the power sockets as well. So there's obviously they're not going to be able to open the full width because I've got to allow a gap in the back for yeah. the socket in the middle. So they're going to sort of maybe be, I don't know, Can they, 90 mil or... I've never done timber. Mm-hmm. But my thinking straight away would be that you could... It comes around the back and then curls inside again. It curls back on itself so you get more open without it actually having to go where oh, those pipes right, okay. and stuff are. So it actually comes to a point and then just curls in on itself inside. So you lose internal space, but you get full openness. Yeah. Depends. I don't know what radius you can yeah, get out of that. Be, so. Yeah, that'd be a pretty big radius, but I think that might work. It's just, it's as well whether you want to see the tambour on the inside, because usually yeah, they've got the canvas on the back. Hidden. Yeah. So you put a panel inside, but I don't know. It might work. But, but I, it's, I don't is think it a it's, vanity? No, it's not a van. It's a media okay. unit. Okay. So, like, bookshelves and... and Do you think it really matters? I wouldn't matter what if you see the inside of the timbre door. Like, if yeah. you're going to put your... Like, I th- the way I think of it is you're going to put... The whole reason for doors is to hide your messy shit on the inside. Well, the way I was sort of selling it to her was that you could have all these different... Because it's sort of broken down into different sections, so you could have books... Right. Or something on display in one side okay. and kind of open the tambour and leave the yeah. tambour pulled over on the other side. Okay. But, um, yeah, the other thing I was thinking was having, like, an access slot through the back wall mm-hmm. that the panels slide in through and then the cleat fixes over the top of that. Yeah. Once you get it on site, the cleat gets fixed in place. Um, 
Could you yeah, not do just, something similar from the front and have a cleat that was yeah, screwed on from inside want, at the front? I know you don't want to do it. I don't want to see it on the front edge. It's <laughs> yeah, a big thing. No. And, yeah, yeah, it's... But it's going to be fun. Um, and using a timber that I haven't really used much before, um, Tazzy Blackwood. Ooh. It's going to be nice. Expensive. Um, expensive? No, it's pretty no. much... A bit, when you kind of get into a pre, a, what I would call a premium Aussie timber, like Spotted Gun Blackbutt, uh, Tazzy Blackwood, they're all very similarly priced. So I think for one forty mil by thirty two mil, you're looking at about thirty three dollars a meter. That sounds about right. And you know, and spotted gum would probably be uh, thirty five or something like that. So they're sort of all in and around the same. Like by the time you work it out across a piece, the difference is I don't know a hundred dollars or something. But um, the premium ones are the sort of the Damien Wright timbers, you know. The, yeah, petrified yeah. Um, red gum and stuff. I think um, from memory, it's been a while since I priced up Blackwood, but I think it's about it would be sitting somewhere, not quite double that here. You serious? I think it's very expensive. I, I, it's wow. pretty close to what you'd be paying for American walnut. Ebers. Yep. No, it, it's a timber that I've kind of always been a little reluctant to use because I don't like some of the color tones in it. Mm-hmm. Like you get some nearly greeny kind of patterns in it that, yeah, have never really. But then I saw a lovely batch in. I went into Urban Salvage last week and they had some beautiful stuff. It was almost like walnut. Oh yeah, um, really nice crown cut. Um, yeah. And uh, the advantage of spotted gum is obviously it's a bit easier to glue, a bit less creep on the joints, and mm-hmm. um, it's lighter because these are going to be reasonably yeah. hefty units so it's a bit less strain on the cleats and on the wall cool so yeah are you gonna, so most of your units is mostly going to be solid timber are you yep. going to put like a 18 mil plywood panel on the back to hang it from yeah and keep so everything? i usually i usually rebate uh, um like a french cleat into the back so just cool. route out a um a channel yep. it depends how because of the expansion and contraction of the timber, I may end up doing some of the panels inside um, out of veneered, just shop veneered ply. Yeah. Um, to try to keep it stable. Mm-hmm. But um, smart yeah, idea. Whenever you've got moving parts, it's <laughs> well. I was thinking. I was thinking. Yeah, the tambour because I want it to be pretty tight in the track. Yeah. Don't want it to bind. Mm-hmm. Um. So yeah still trying to get my head around exactly which bits I'm going to do imply or because mm. um, the other so they're two units for two different rooms and they want similar language between the two but they're different size and one's kind of got an end panel that wraps up so you've got sort of two dimensions like a perpendicular bit of grain hitting it and yeah how I'm going to manage that but uh, yeah I've seen I've seen some like low profile aluminium um, hangers like a big Z strip oh yeah mm. um, but yeah usually I would just do either 12 or um, 16 mil or 18 mil yeah. um, ply and just put the 45 yeah. degree um, hang it on it and then I'll try to screw fix from the inside of the panel as well yeah. 
through the back of the panel of the unit into the cleat that's on the wall that's stud mounted. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. That's the way I would usually do it. But mm. um, did you say yeah, who's going to do the install? Is that you? Me, yeah. Yeah. Right, okay. Yeah. Um, I've done a fair few of them now. So the hardest one was probably the um, the Tetramino one that's on my website. It was kind of three different wall-hung units. And the tricky bit was that it had LED built oh, into the top God. one. I don't remember if you... Like, I did this... I don't remember it, but... Yeah. Crazy track that had to... Yeah, it was basically so you could remove all the LED um, and replace <laughs> it if you wanted. But God. Jesus Christ, I did that install by myself. I think the base part of it was 2.2 meters or something like that, solid spotted gum. Um, trying to use milk crates to prop it up to get it onto the cleat and then chase the LED wiring through it. That's the yeah. worst thing, trying to put something on the wall like that and have wires run between two different yeah. kind of carcass units. And yeah. it's, it's, it's really difficult. It's an absolute nightmare. So yeah, no, uh, no lighting in this one, fortunately, but just a, a tricky tambour door to deal with. Yep. But um, yeah, it's going to be fun. So yeah, Tassie Blackwood, and I think we're going to go with a rock maple, um, Queensland rock maple plywood for the, for the doors just to get a nice big contrast into it. Cool. Are you going to take a feather out of Simeon's hat and make your own? I am not going to make my own. (laughs) Absolutely not. And there is no way I'm going to veneer over the top and do some marquetry and cut every (laughs) single strip of the tambour with a knife. He's a madman. I I didn't understand half of what he said. Um, All I took from that (laughs) is that you should finish the the strips or whatever it is first before you put it together. That's all I got from it. Yeah, the biggest thing, that, the thing that I was asking him was, you know, the pattern, the big kind of V-shaped pattern that he had on it in the contrasting mm. timber. If you had cut that on a table saw or a bandsaw, you're losing the kerf mm. thickness. Yeah. So the pattern won't line up unless the gaps are the same width as the kerf. Mm. Yeah. Mm. yeah. So you obviously don't want to have like a, a three mil or a 1.3 mil gap between them. So that's what I couldn't understand how he had made it. And I'm like, Jesus, man. Wow, yes, you're a perfectionist. True. So yeah, that's that's what I'm working on. Um, cool. You know, there's small bits and pieces, more memory boxes. Did a golf trophy. Um, what else? I saw that. Yeah. Yeah. Other things. Um, posted about my tree maker thing um, oh, yeah. today. So that was pretty nice to go back and tally up. And so mm. I worked out that in 18 months, I'd planted over 1,200 trees with. Awesome. Um, 1% of of my income to my business mm. so that's good and there's obviously bigger businesses involved like the like butters of this world who really do their part for um, for saving the world so mm. yeah it's it's really cool so if anybody's interested it's um, it's basically just a, a pledge like you don't have to not asking for your firstborn child or anything but if you visit <laughs> sawdustbureau.com um, slash tree maker it's just information on there of different um, tree planting and biodiversity schemes that you can you can join and yep. Yeah, it reminded me to interested. have a look at mine because I must be about due to pay some monies and plant some trees over here. Yeah, yep. Cool. So that has been my week. Nice one. Um, we bought a we bought a section bought a house. Ah. Oh, awesome. how, do you, how do you just drop that in after yeah. 50 minutes? 
<laughs> well, I've been... I was literally just about to say, and with that, we're going to round up tonight. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, we, we can save it. No, no, no. no. We, huh? you, we signed some paperwork today, which was accepted. Give us a So we just, we've got a, a month to sell our house, and then we can pay for that one. And then um, we, got, we bought uh, one and a third acres with oh, uh, nice. a house and a small shed on it. So we need to oh, build the house the is already on it. Yeah. Are you going to demo or are you going to? Yeah, it's going to be the house is going to be heavily modified. Yeah. Yeah. Because <laughs> um, it's a little 1930s bungalow that needs a whole lot of love, and um, and my first house was a 1930s bungalow, and it was a shit to live in because it's just yeah. like living in a tent. So that's going to get stripped out, and uh, we're stretching our budget quite. To the, to the to the edge, but we sh- we think we can do what we need to do. So, and you're still going um, the container route. Container? No, big shed. Oh, sorry, big, shed, not yeah. container. Yeah. You're still no, going yeah. the shed route. Yeah, yeah. I just okay. got a quote through today for a new shed, um, which is much cheaper than I thought it was going to be to, for the actual shed. So that's nice. Um, they can't give me a price yet for the groundworks because we don't. No, we can't get on site yet and actually dig a hole and see what we've got. Is it pretty flat? Um, there's two spots where we can put a shed. One shed would be very flat and easy to build, but far away from the existing shed that's there. Right. If we want to put, ideally, we would put the new workshop right next to the existing shed, and I can mm-hmm. use both. Yeah. The, the existing one has a little kitchenette and like an, it would be an office. Oh, so it's, it's more than a shed. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it has uh, some storage, which we would use probably for finished furniture or maybe a, like a little showroom type thing. Um, so if we want to put the actual workshop close to that, it would mean digging a bit more of a slope away and putting a small retaining wall in, which is wouldn't be too major, but we need to investigate if we can do that. Um, so, and it's only 10 minutes away from my current workshop. Oh, perfect. Nice. So, um, so should be fun. Congratulations. Yeah, it feels yeah, good to... It's a big step. Get. We've got a, someone about... We've probably, in the next two days, our agent told us someone's going to put an offer on the workshop, a current workshop. So, um, that's not even really on the market yet. It's just someone the agent knew and... He came and had a look and loved it, so he's just doing the numbers to see what he wants to pay for it. And we'll, we'll your plan that. is just to do a long settlement on that, so that you can use that it to one. Shed we it's finished. we are going to, and he, this potential buyer is wants us to lease it for a year, and we want to lease okay. lease it back for for a year. So mm-hmm. um, because my existing workshop has a small minor dwelling behind it 60 odd square meter dwelling um and we will squeeze into that for a year while we (laughs) while we're going to build the build and renovate the house you're not going to hire a caravan and live the proper miserable grand designs life freezing through the winter with your no nope i've got a heat pump in the little little house so i'll I'll be cranking it (laughs) (laughs) so yeah that'll be fun very well, nice. I guess then in probably a month when we do another show with just the three of us, there yeah. should be a couple more updates then. So that's probably, yeah. 
So if anybody's interested in dropping a, a million plus on a on a uh, workshop and house in Auckland, just give us give Joey <coughs> yeah. a shout. Yeah. yeah, give me a bell. Yeah, a million. I'll take a million. You take a sure. million. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So to everyone listening. Uh, if you did enjoy the show, please go ahead and give it a rating on iTunes. That really does help us out. The Shopstall podcast is available on most podcasting apps. Joey and Brian, thanks again for hanging out, and we'll see you all next show. See ya. Cheers, guys. <laughs>